Hello listeners, it's been far too long. Welcome to a special edition of The Partial Historians. I am one rad person. <laughs> and I am a less rad, but still very present, Peter. Yeah. Hi. <laughs> You're still highly excellent. <laughs> yes, uh, today we're taking a slight break, are we not? Oh, uh, yeah. Interruption. Yes. The Just narrative like... ceases. <laughs> Pause, yeah. I hear you say. Yeah, we're going to take a look at our major sources in yes. a little bit more detail. Yeah, because we're constantly talking about these people, and we thought maybe we should tell you who yeah. these people are. I keep telling you the great things that are happening in yeah. Dionysus of Halicarnassus' narrative, um, but maybe you'd like to know something about who the man really is. I know I would. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm here with information excellent, for you. Excellent. Enlighten me. Oh, look, what can I tell you? Yes. Um, he's a historian. Ah! <laughs> That's a good starting point. I like oh, him already. You know, <laughs> man after my own heart. Um, so Which is a, actually, it's kind of a salient point because oh, yeah. we, we, we could be drawing on something that wasn't strictly a history. Uh, yes, yeah. indeed. Yeah, mm. yeah. It's not the worst point I've ever made. No. <laughs> um, not on this podcast and not in life. Yeah. Um, yeah, a lot of the sources that we have for mm. Roman history are not histories yes. of Rome. Yeah, we might be drawing from like legislation, it might be artwork, it might be poetry, but yeah. Yeah, there are plenty of realms of evidence. Um, I can tell you that Dionysius was not a sculptor, for instance. Yeah. <laughs> this is important I must detail. Admit, that thought hadn't crossed my mind. Uh, but, but then again. And yet. <laughs> good with his hands, but only for the words. That's right. Um, he writes history. Um, but this is really interesting in mm. the sense that Rome and Greece have a historiographical tradition. Yes. And Dionysius is one of these... Uh, examples of a Greek historian who's doing Roman history. Ooh, that sounds uh, tricky. Yeah, he's well, crossing over. He goes well, both ways. Oh, uh, yeah, you know. Yeah. <laughs> he travels. Yes. He moves here, he moves there. <laughs> he mixes uh, it up. <laughs> well, by the time that we get to Dionysius's life, so yes. he's born around about 60 BCE. Okay, yep. We don't know very much about his life. No. In, surprise, surprise, Halicarnassus, where he grew up. Ah, and there was another famous there was. historian from Halicarnassus, yeah, I the, believe. the father of history. Herodotus. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Herodotus. Yes, yes. Yeah, so Halicarnassus has this reputation as mm. being like a site of Greek scholarly worth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you count Herodotus as having scholarly oh, worth. Oh, I, I, I do. I do. I do. I'm, I'm fond of him. <laughs> <laughs> I love his yeah, stories. Yeah, exactly. Um, so... But by the time we get into Dionysius's life... This is quite some time after, yeah. Quite some time after mm. Herodotus. Sorry, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> um, but 60 BC, we're already seeing the vast expanse of Roman power yes. around the Mediterranean. Absolutely, yeah. And although they're not uh, necessarily preeminent in all areas mm. at this point in time, it's pretty clear... Uh, <laughs> Rome's probably going to be the winner. <laughs> it's pretty clear that yeah. not many people can stop them. No. Halicarnassus, the city itself, is mm. located in part of Asia Minor. So yes. it's kind of on the edges of Roman influence. Mm. But Rome is in the east. Yes, um, and definitely. despite the fact that they're dealing with a lot of challenges trying to keep hold of it in yes. very particular ways, yeah. they're definitely there. They're there to stay. <laughs> Inevitably, yeah. so it would seem. <laughs> so by the time we get to around about 30 or 29 BCE, mm. uh, Dionysius has made the momentous decision to uproot his family, 
or perhaps just himself, who knows, <laughs> um, and go to Rome. Right, yeah. Which coincides really sea nicely. Change. Well, <laughs> not even that, yeah. but like a, a shift in geography, which is counterbalanced by the fact that we've just had Octavian's mm. successful victory over Antony. Of course. And the East. Indeed. Represented by the evil Cleopatra. Indeed. Indeed. <laughs> wicked, wicked machines. <laughs> okay. I, I was about to say I'll come back to her later, sorry, but I'm definitely yeah. not coming back to her later in yeah. the episode. So, sorry in advance. There she goes. Uh, there she Whoop. goes. There she was. She's gone now. Back to Dionysius. Yes. So he makes the decision to move to Rome. Mm. This in itself places him in a unique position mm. as a Greek historian. Yeah. Because unlike his um, uh, sort of Predecessors. historical predecessor, yeah. Polybius, yeah. Um, who's probably the most mm. well-known of the Greek people doing Roman history. Yeah. <laughs> Polybius was a hostage yes. of Rome. Yeah. Basically, <laughs> during Rome's expansive activities, Polybius is one of those unlucky souls who yeah. ends up... Well, I suppose as lucky as his reputation may bear out. Um, but one of those people who does end up as a hostage, more or less, for a long time. Whoops. Yeah. And he decides to utilize this time silver lining people silver lining <laughs> while i'm in prison you know what i should do right right, That's right. right a lot of the greats it. have gone down this path yes polybius is one of the trailblazers yeah and so polybius is writing a history of rome mm. from an insider's perspective mm. in the sense that he's in rome yeah but, but as still a greek yeah. but as an outsider yeah. because totally a hostage yeah james <laughs> <laughs> can't just leave whenever he yeah. wants to <laughs> can't just pack up his books and be like i'm done with you guys yeah. i'm writing my history my way <laughs> exactly yeah. no definitely not so no. the constraints that polybius finds himself under in terms of writing his history of yeah, rome are different are yeah. very different yes. from the ones that dionysius faces because yeah. one dionysius chooses to go to rome yes uh, and it's also pretty clear that he's got a very particular way of looking at the relationship between greece and rome mm. as well which is coming through very strongly on polybius was obviously still, still writing at a time where rome was still kind of on the up and up in terms of like international influence, <laughs> in- <laughs> international influence yes because he was writing during the punic wars which is mm. quite some time before dionysius's yeah. Yeah. So Philippus is yeah. writing in a time of great, like, sort of upheaval and uncertainty about yes. who will be the real power brokers in the region. Totally. Yeah. Uh, by the time we get to Dionysius, I think we've solved that problem. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's more like, hmm, these Roman chaps mm-hmm. seem to be doing awfully well for themselves. I feel like yeah. we should probably study them because they seem like they're not going anywhere. Exactly. Yeah. Sort of curious people. Let's study them more. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. but this also means that Dionysius is writing under the sort of literary phase that will become the Augustan age of yes. literature. Yes, yes, And there are very sort of particular Augustan things mm. that Augustus would like in his <laughs> literature. Uh, Who would have thought? Surprise, surprise. I like my literature Augustan, <laughs> for I am he. <laughs> I want it flavoured with a little bit of myself. Exactly. Yeah, have my toenails. <laughs> uh, so, but you know, this is the same period of time where Virgil is writing the Aeneid, yeah, um, the amazing epic that is the founding of Rome, yeah, um, and Ovid's writing his naughty poetry. <laughs> Ovid's lining himself up for a good exile. Yeah. Uh, he's just getting started. Um, Livy is also writing his history, although I won't say too much about that. No, don't ruin our next episode. <laughs> wink, wink. <laughs> but we also have people like Horace yes. who are writing what seems to be very politically flavored poetry for sure yeah um 
So we've got this sense that we've got Dionysius, who is Greek, but is now living in Rome, has made that choice. Yes. He's surrounded by people who are like, well, I have to write this Augustan piece. <laughs> um, and he's trying to do a history in Greek yeah. about Rome. Yeah. This is another important distinction, the fact that he does decide to write in Greek. He does know Latin. It's pretty clear when we read his narratives yes. that he's well aware. And he's also living in Rome. But it's suggesting it about the be... audience that he's yeah. aiming at. Yeah. 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 Who is his target audience? Yes. Um, presumably Greeks. Yeah. Uh, although anybody who's got some Greek could have a go. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, let's let's face it. Probably most of the educated Romans would be able to read it as well. But oh, look. Yeah. I think that's safe to say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But there are certain things that he does which are relatively controversial as mm. far as modern historians are concerned with. Ooh, I like it. Saucy. <laughs> saucy. Oh, saucy. Yeah, <laughs> well, just to give you a bit of a, like a rundown of the history of how Dionysius himself has been treated by historians looking at yeah. Greece and Rome. Yeah. Uh, he gets really bad flack initially. Mm. Um, the Germans really aren't into him. They, they dismiss him as being a bit of a faux historian. Is this because the Germans are all about precision? Um, <laughs> there, are, there are a few factors going yeah. on. Um, but there is this sort of seminal article that mm. anybody who studies Dionysius comes back to, which is an article by the German scholar Schwartz, right. um, which comes out in one of their epic encyclopedias mm. known as the Pauli Whistler. Ah, ah, yeah. yeah, this is Sorry, like one of those essential source yeah. references that every... Take me back to my undergrad days. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> All on first year undergrads yeah. go and find their little articles, realize they're in German. And then and go, crap! <laughs> now what? Um, but he basically accuses Dionysius of being incompetent as a historian. That's, and that's harsh. <laughs> lacking the proper feeling of a true Greek. Ooh, what the um, hell does that mean? <laughs> well, <laughs> I'll break that down for okay, you a little please, bit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, essentially, Schwartz is suggesting that Dionysius is far more interested in rhetorical display than he is in actually producing reasonable, understandable history. Right, okay. In the sort of tradition of, like, Thucydides and Flavius and those sorts. Yeah, so mm. for Schwartz, Thucydides stands out as the preeminent Greek historian mm. because he's writing history that is bold, that is about the details, that's not really about the rhetoric, mm. and that was written during a time of crisis. Right. Because Schwartz was very much of the school that like the best history is produced under times of great pressure. Uh, and I, I completely disagree. <laughs> Deadlines freak me the hell out. <laughs> Look, we're not here to decide yeah. if Schwartz was right or wrong. Yeah. But yeah. unfortunately, uh, yes. this, this has put a big tarnish yeah. on Dionysius's reputation because German scholarship in yeah. the field of ancient history is highly respected. Sure. So being able to come back from something like that, mm. Dionysius, it took him some time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so... It really meant that it wasn't until sort of the like 80s and 90s of the 20th century mm. that we, oh, that sounds terrible, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, <laughs> that we start to see scholars coming out and actually lauding Dionysius for what he does. Sure. Yes, he's interested in rhetorical displays. Yes. It's pretty clear that he doesn't just write history. Yeah. And we have some extant rhetorical pieces from him as well. Right. Um, where he does things like lay into Thucydides. <laughs> uh, well, that's see, daring. You can make the connections for yourself now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
But ultimately, we get to this point where historians like Gabba mm. uh, start to argue that Dionysius is doing some really interesting things. Mm. He's actually more faithful to the sources yeah. for Roman history than some of the Romans doing Roman history. Ooh, are you are you looking at Livy? Are you looking at Livy? <laughs> I don't think I need to drop any names yeah. here, but I could read out the quote. Okay, Gabba... hit me with it. Hit me with the quote. Gabba argues yes. that, yep. and I quote, uh-huh. Dionysius is more faithful to his sources than, for example, Livy. <gasps> oh my god. I'm going to come back to that. <laughs> Hold that thought. Okay. Um... Not only that, uh, this idea that somehow Dionysus is doing something good uh-huh. uh, with what he's doing, there also are arguments put forward that mm. actually he's being a little bit subversive as well, Ooh. under the constraints of the Augustan literary regime. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say propaganda. Sorry. Yeah, <laughs> regime sounds much nicer. <laughs> because his main tenet, and this has been coming out, I think, a little bit in our, in our narrative episodes yes. for early Rome, is that Dionysius is always trying to link things that are happening in Roman history back to stuff that is Greek. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Mm. He has these moments where it's like, you know, Brutus is having a conversation with somebody else. They're like, mm. what sort of government should we have? And you're like, we should do it like the Athenians did. Is it wise? Yeah. Have you thought that yeah. maybe the Greeks had a good idea about this? Democracy. So hot right now. <laughs> yeah. But, I, you know, I think it's also dangerous. Yeah. So, you know. yeah. um, so we have these moments where Dionysius is interweaving almost at all times this background narrative of the connection that Romans share Mm. culturally, ethnographically with the Greeks. Well, certainly we've been noticing as we go through our uh, our sort of narrative of these historians that Dionysius generally always has about 10 times as much as Livy in his account. Not necessarily 10 times as much information, just 10 times as much content. Like... (laughs) There is a lot yeah, of words. There is a lot of I've words. I've been doing a lot of reading. Yeah. <laughs> you really got the short story. <laughs> I don't know why I chose this for myself. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, continue. Yes. Oh, no. Yeah. Um, so we have this sense in which there is this underlying Greek narrative. Yeah. Which is, and it has been observed by others, um, Gabba and Fox in particular, mm. uh, have observed that this seems to be a suggestion of an anti- uh, Roman approach. Mm. So Livy is very interested in this sort of indigenous Romanness. Yes, yeah. And Augustus is very interested in promoting this idea of the Romans as a people and the traditions of the Romans. And a lot of his legislation is attempting to hark back to like moments of case legislation where they're like, yeah, this is yeah. what the Romans did. Yes, and if yeah. we want to be true Romans, we need to do it too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and Dionysius' narrative just doesn't buy into this mm. at all. Hence this aversion. Yeah, mm. and it seems relatively subtle. Mm. I mean, his work wasn't destroyed. No, this is mm. true. It survived. Yeah, mm. it survives. Yeah. But for how long? Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk to Schwartz. <laughs> well, actually, it doesn't... Sorry, I should say it survives, but it's not surviving in its entirety, is it? It is not. No. no sadly. No. So. Yeah. Sorry, probably <laughs> just throwing you completely off your no, train no. of me. No, no, I've got some notes on this. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. So, um, we know he started writing mm-hmm. in about 30, so he turns up to Rome and he's, like, into it straight away. Right. 
He's pretty much done and dusted with the whole project that is the Roman history mm. by 7 BC. Okay. Um, so, you know, it's only a few years. Yeah. <laughs> just a blink of an eye, really. Just a bit of yeah. a project. Yeah. <laughs> um, he was clearly doing some research. Yeah. Um, and some writing and maybe doing some rhetorical stuff on the side. Mm. So, of the 20 books, mm. we have books 1 to 10. Mm. Pretty good. Right. So, fine. Which is where we're at at the moment, isn't it? Well, we're somewhere in book six. As in six. you and I. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I've hit book six. It's yeah, okay. very exciting. Okay. Um, <laughs> only four more books to go, and then we get into the stuff that, uh, yeah. The sketchy stuff. <laughs> Wait for it. I yeah. might switch sources. Sorry. Uh, book 11? Yeah. Not so much. A little mm. bit incomplete. Yeah. And 11 to 20, it's all just excerpts from right. that point onwards. Okay. So, we've got everything in some form, uh-huh. um, whether it's just little extracts or otherwise. Yeah. The work deals with everything from the mythical beginnings, mm-hmm. as you dear listeners would be well aware. Exactly. Um, <laughs> be our companion for some time now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and takes us right up to the First Punic War. Okay. Uh, so and that's where Polybius kind of kicks off. Yeah. Coincidence? I think not. It's not a coincidence. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty sure Dionysus had a plan. Yeah. Um, is he saying Polybius is so great I wouldn't dare tread on his toes? Mm, I don't know. Is he? <laughs> or is he just really tired of yeah. history? We're like, you know, I need that's, a, that's a couple new hundred project. years. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Been doing this for like twenty something, you know. Yeah. Um, I need to give it a break. Yeah. So, um, he takes it up to the point where Polybius's narrative takes off. Sure. So we've got this nice uh, sense in which the Greek reader, mm. let's call him the Greek lay reader. <laughs> <laughs> With a little bit of spare time on their hands, so they have to be of the fancy class. Yeah. Um, and like, you know, I'd like to know uh, Roman history. Yeah. I think I need to be on top of that. Mm. That seems like the new big thing. Yeah. Um, Everybody else is doing it. <laughs> yeah, I'm spending a lot of time with these guys who mm. are in charge of me now. Yeah. And- feel like I should just have some background to work with. <laughs> Where they come from. Yeah. Yeah. You can just read Dionysius of Halicarnassus, and once you're done with that, just move straight on to Polybius. Nice. Smooth. Yeah. Smooth. <laughs> very easy transition. Yeah. Uh, so it's almost like Dionysius is setting himself a very particular project where mm. he fills a gap yes. that he knows exists, yeah. and he wants to do it with a little bit of a sense of giving the Greeks some something to hold on to. Mm. Um you're not just the downtrodden Greeks who the Romans despise and have taken over. Um, you are the people that made them the people. Uh, yeah, yes. yeah. That's a good way of putting it. <laughs> so if you want to have your victimhood, by all means. You are the wind beneath their wings. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that's the metaphor you use to open the whole piece. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. it sort of it provides a, a counterbalance, if mm-hmm. you like, to what might be the Augustan literary regime. Yeah. Uh, but it also provides an in, if you like, of trying to encourage perhaps a little bit of Greek engagement with Roman history. Yeah. Where perhaps it, they might have just been offended. Otherwise, that's true. Not yeah. have been willing to go there. Do you know what? Now that we've been talking about this Augustan regime, all I can think of is like the Lego movie and everything is awesome. <laughs> yeah. 
I have no confidence. No, sorry, sorry. I this is my this is my tangent for the day. Yeah. I'm done. No, I'm out of no, here. It's fine. It's fine. I'm like, how can I weave this back yeah. into Dionysius? Yeah. I've got nothing. Um, the point is that Dionysius does not think that everything is awesome if you're part of the Roman team. It doesn't appear so, no. Yeah. But it also doesn't seem to be highly critical yeah. of the Romans either. And sure. this is where uh, the counterbalance has to come into play because he's engaging with Roman history. Yeah. He's come to Rome of his own volition. Yeah. And he's clearly set himself a very particular project about how he's going to produce that Roman history in yeah. Greek. And let's say so. I mean, even though I am using the word regime a lot because I like the way it sounds, <laughs> um, I wouldn't necessarily say that if he had published something critical of the regime that... Uh, you know, it's not like it's not like the, the Nazis we're talking about here. Exactly, <laughs> you know, it might not have been great. It might not have survived, but you know, I'm not sure that he would have, you know, been in that much danger at that point of Augustus's rule. Do you? Well, I mean, increasingly so as time went on. I suspect. Yeah, but not at that early point. But do you at, think? at thirty, yeah, possibly not. Yeah, everything later on. Yeah, yeah, everything's kind of settled down by about twenty three. True. So, Could have found himself in exile, I suppose. Yeah, everybody likes a good exile. Mm. Just ask of it. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Dionysius spent some time uh, constructing a lot of Roman uh, edifices, if you like. I know, I'm not talking about buildings here, but like political <laughs> political structures <laughs> yeah. um, around Greek models. Mm-hmm. So things like clientship, mm. the Senate. Really? Uh-huh. The dictatorship. Oh, I have to remember that. <laughs> the Avatio. Um, ah, I vividly remember that yeah, one. <laughs> all of these, like, linked back in to, mm. to Greek precedent, yeah. if you like. So yeah. there's a sense in which at every opportunity, particularly so far what we've been reading of yes. Dionysius' history, yeah. um, there is this deliberate interweaving mm. of back to the Greeks. And how convincing is he? <laughs> You know, given that uh, he's using his sources more uh, realistically than Livy, <gasps> I'd say pretty convincing. <laughs> I'm just saving it all up, listeners. I'm just saving it all up. <laughs> I guess the criticism that could be laid at Dionysius's door at mm. this point in time, from my perspective... Is he's totally making it up? <laughs> <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> also unwarranted, given... Um, the fact that uh, history is on my side by suggesting he's quite good at what he does. Yeah. Um, <laughs> For now. Uh, <laughs> For now. <laughs> For now. Just you as younger. The Germans will prevail. They always do. <laughs> Just you wait. Just you wait. We'll get to the point where I like I lose my source and yeah. I'll be like, I'm not sure what's going on anymore, guys. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm in embarrassment. <laughs> yeah. Um, but what Dionysius does do is mm. that there is... It is clear that stylistically there is a big difference mm. between the sort of history that Dionysius is interested in producing and, say, the history that Livy is interested in producing. Sure. So even though they're covering the same period of time, yeah. they're going about it in very different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, Dionysius is building up a huge picture around the events. Yes. And this has to be partly based on his audience. Mm. But the accusation that he's using this history as a vehicle for his... Uh, displays of rhetoric. I don't think they can be completely dismissed. Mm. Um, once we get into some of those speeches before battles, they just go on and on and on. And there's absolutely no way they are word for word. <laughs> well, 
despite the fact that none of our historians from the ancient no, period have that. the opportunity no. uh, to take a little recording <laughs> at the time because they were at the event that they ended up writing their history about. It, it, it's fair to say that they're all making up the speeches. Yeah, yeah. Some were doing it in slightly different styles from mm. others. Dionysius is clearly and having others, a moment. Yeah, um, having a moment. <laughs> indulging himself and, maybe and a little bit and at times. To be fair, we know now also uh, if, when they have access to, say, records of speeches, we know that they might be embellishing them a little bit, but you know, the core is there. Uh, that's not that's not Livy, unfortunately. <laughs> that I'm uh-huh. talking about. Not really, no. Anyway. <laughs> well, yeah. It, yeah. So Dionysius yeah. is spending some time elaborating, I think, possibly Tacitus, yeah. uh, beyond where he mm. needs to yeah. uh, with some of the speeches, which is fair enough yeah. because that's yeah. part of his deal. Sure. Um, but the accusations from from modern historians that perhaps he's not doing history very well yeah. or he's not really interested in history mm. seem a little bit unfounded. True. Um, it's... I don't know if you can spend 25 years of your life writing a history and not really be interested in it. Well, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Presumably you could. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it seems like a, a waste of time. Yeah, it does, yeah. yeah. Um, there are other things to do. Particularly when life life in the ancient world is much shorter than life. I think we have to credit him for having warning to have done it. Yes. Um, having done it. Yep. Um, having survived. Yeah. Well done, you. Not that that has anything to do with him, really. But <laughs> he wrote it. He lived. Yeah. We have the script. It's yep. very nice. Yeah. Um, he clearly wanted to do it. Yeah. Um, and he clearly did his research. Yeah. Um, and he also is interested in the Greek historiographical tradition. Mm. So his interest in Thucydides and the critiques that he makes about Thucydides yes. are giving us some information about how he wants to differentiate himself as a Greek historian mm. uh, as well. So we have a sense in which um, the details mm. that he is interested in have a have a different sort of philosophical base and he's interested in source tradition and he's interested in the source tradition to the point that he's willing to talk about his sources at times. Yes, yes. So there is this growing sense within, I think, the historiographical tradition Mm. that you need to be accountable in particular ways. Yes. Even if what he's trying to do is clearly programmatic Mm. in terms of, like, the connections between Greece and Rome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So be it. Yeah. Like, he's pretty open about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And it's pretty obvious, so... <laughs> so, like, look over there. Watch what I'm doing with this hand. <laughs> <laughs> Did you see that Greek over there? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> oh. You missed it? Let me show you again. How about in this story? Yeah, yeah. The yeah. surprise Greek. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, so in terms of, like, as a source, I find Dionysius, I think, really quite interesting. Mm. Um He's bringing in a lot of detail, and we see the overlaps with Livy quite clearly. So they're clearly reading similar things, mm. um, but they're doing very different things with it, and they've got different agendas. Yeah. Um, and Dionysius is not, it seems, as fully tied in to this Augustan literary regime. Mm. Um, I'm regretting using that word now. It sounds bad. That <laughs> sounds bad for my guy. It's such a catchy phrase, and yeah. I just need to use it now whenever possible. It is a good word. Um, <laughs> doing things to me i've got a vision now it's like yes yes that's what it was a literary regime Um, (laughs) but he seems to be on the outskirts of that in very particular ways one of its language one of its the choices that he's making in terms of how he constructs his narrative Mm. um and this means that he provides a really interesting counterbalance and an what is essentially an outsider insider perspective on what is going on in rome how much 
comment we can draw from the things that he's saying about the period of history he's looking at yes. to the Augustan period directly, yeah. I would hesitate to speculate. Well, well. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm just putting it out there as that that's something to consider as well. I do have a question as well. Do we know anything about like his time in Rome? I mean, how he was operating? Was he connected with any sort of literary circles or... You know, was he giving readings of his work <laughs> at any point that we know of? Or, yeah, yeah, know. going to soirees. Yeah, yeah, yeah. saddle, you know, living well, it up. Is there any indication of that, or is it pretty blank slate? We know that he was relatively popular within a circle of Greek intellectuals. Ah. Uh, um, and that he had Roman patrons. Right. Uh, some people might recognise the name of Quintus Aelius Tubero. Others may not. <laughs> I'm not. So, <laughs> so be it. Um, but he did have he did have like Roman sponsorship, okay, if you like. Yeah, yeah. And he also taught rhetoric okay, in Rome. Yeah. These are the little bits and pieces that we can glean. Mm. Um, is this from his own work? We we glean these, or is this from other people? Presumably. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That no, that's be, okay. That's that would okay. be more speculation yes. on my part. Okay. Um, but yes, he is mm. working in Rome. He mm. does have Roman contacts, but yeah. he also there has is Greek a context, there yeah. is a broader Greek intelligentsia yeah. hanging out in Rome at this time as well. Yeah, fair enough. Okay, mm. well, well, how I feel thoroughly enlightened about your Greek boy that you've been cavorting <laughs> with. <laughs> no, you know, I have to have a boy here and there. <laughs> ah, well. Tune in next time, listeners, for the next instalment of our special historian editions, Livy. The big one. The big one. <laughs> so you say, so you say. <laughs> See you then. I, I'll be convinced later. <laughs>